Well, last week in part one of this series, Pastor Ben walked us through what faith is and what it's primarily for. A common idea is that if you just believe in God enough, he'll do what you want him to do, but that's not the primary function or foundation of faith. The primary function of faith is to have confidence in what God has promised, holding on to his words. And if you missed last week, if you didn't catch part one, I encourage you this week, go to our podcast, go to our YouTube channel, go to our website, uh, just watch or listen to part one of the series because Ben had a lot of amazing things he drew out of scripture that help us understand what faith is and also what it isn't. And what we wanted to do today for part two is to take a step back and really look at how faith begins. Uh, Today, we're going to answer the question, how do you know if you have faith? And we're even going to address, how do you know if you have enough faith? And as we get into this topic, let's just start with what the world tells us when it comes to belief or faith. And I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but I'm saying we just need to be aware of how we're kind of coming into this by default. Here's what the world tells us with belief, and I know this sounds like a cat poster. Believe. Believe in yourself. Whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. If you can dream it, you can do it. Just believe in yourself and you can accomplish great things. And we've got a lot of sayings out there, a lot of, you know, Uh, little um, tidbits of information from different people about the power of believing in yourself. And I'm not discrediting this because I believe there is, God created us with this tremendous potential that we often don't see. And when we just believe we can do what he created us to do, it allows us to do great things. Um, I did a little digging this week as far as like, where did this idea of positive thinking come from or who started it and It probably goes back centuries, but here's one of the earlier quotes I found. It was interesting, so I wanted to share this with you. The Power of Positive Thinking. This was written by Napoleon Hill in 1937. He had a book called Think and Grow Rich. Definitely not like a a Christian book by any means. Here's what he said. Whatever your mind can conceive and believe, it can achieve. First of all, if you're looking for how to figure out the rule, I before E except before C, Just write this down somewhere and it'll help you remember. But this demonstrates for us the potential of the human being. So often we limit ourselves because we don't think we can do something. Sometimes we almost have to accidentally do something before we believe that we can do it. I think back to my, I've shared this before, I'll just share it real quick. I think back to my high school wrestling career. I call it a career because it makes it sound more, more you know, more than what it was. But my first year of wrestling, just horrible. I didn't win a single match. My second year of wrestling, it was at the very first meet. This guy was beating me up. He was just, it was horrible. It was horrible. I was being humiliated. His teammates at one point said, take it easy on him, take it easy on him. But then in the third period, we're both tired. I'm way down in points. He's about to win. I get a takedown, and I pin him. And I'm like, where did that come from? (laughs) And for the rest of that year, guess what? I believed I could do better than I did the previous year. And now at home, somewhere buried in one of my boxes, I have a little container full of medals. (laughs) Most of them bronze. (laughs) But I got medals. I got medals. 
Sometimes we have to accidentally achieve something before we believe we can do it. Can I, can I ask you a question? Do you, think, do you think people can climb Mount Everest? You'd say, well, yeah, because they have. It's been done. If you were to ask somebody 100 years ago, do you think someone could climb Mount Everest? What would they say? No way. That's the unclimbable mountain. If you're looking for some motivation this week, do some research into the first climbers and explorers of Mount Everest and just look at some of the quotes they have. Like the the first people who tried climbing it, they said, why are you doing that? And you know the answer? Why are you trying to climb Mount Everest? They said, because because it's there. Some of you have read this before. Because it's there. And they said that the, the way we... The way we're going to defeat this mountain is not to overcome the mountain, but overcome ourselves. Even if the mountain defeats us, we can grow bigger. The mountain cannot. If you're looking for some inspiration as far as the power of positive thinking, do some research into those first explorers and the first people who successfully climbed Mount Everest because they believed they could do it. And they did it. So today we're going to talk about the power of belief. And here's the thing. We as humans, we believe that if there's a mountain before us, if we believe we can climb it, we'll find a way to climb it. Maybe not you. Maybe not me. But people who are young and in shape, if, if they believe they can find a way, we'll find a way. If we believe we can get to the moon, we'll get to the moon. If we believe we can put rovers on Mars, we'll put rovers on Mars. If we, can, if we believe we can put a telescope a million miles in space, have it orbit the sun as it also orbits in this Langrange, whatever orbit around Earth, we can do it. It's amazing to see the potential of what happens when we believe in ourselves. Listen to what Jesus said. There was one day his disciples were frustrated because they believed they could do something, but they failed. The long story short is there was a young boy who was possessed by a demon, and it was horrible. It was making him fall into the fire, fall into water, and just his parents were like, please help us, please help us. So Jesus' disciples, who had done miracles before, they tried to help this boy, but they couldn't. They believed in themselves, but they couldn't help the boy, and they came to Jesus. Why can't we do it? And It's interesting. Read all of of Matthew 17 if you want the full story. But here's how Jesus kind of wraps up this section. We got to move on today. Uh, Matthew 17, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, if you have, if you had faith as small as a mustard seed, and if you've never seen one, just it's, it's small. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. You can call out the GPS coordinates that this mountain should move to, and it will obey you. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, nothing will be impossible for you. And the disclaimer to this is he wasn't talking about if you believe in yourself enough, you can do these things. He says, if you believe in me. So here's where we're going today. Number one, Jesus wants you to have a mountain-moving faith. He wants you to have a faith that can move mountains. And what we're going to do today is first, I want to qualify this because when we talk about a faith that can move mountains, you might start getting excited like, ooh, I would like that. But we're going to talk about what Jesus really meant by that. And then I want to show you what gets in the way of a mountain-moving faith and how to have a mountain-moving faith. 
So before we get too excited, like, all right, I'm going to get a mountain-moving faith and do some stuff this week, let's, let's qualify this. Because when we, whenever you hear, like, I want a mountain-moving faith, there's probably two things that come to mind or two questions. First question that might come to mind is this, what does this require of me? If, if I'm going to have a mountain-moving faith, like, what do I need to do? What kind of training? What kind of inner focus? Like, what kind of meditation and how do I detach from my, you know, what do I do to have this kind of mountain-moving faith? And so we naturally direct the question inward. How, uh, what, what does this require of me? But then comes the fun question, maybe what you started with. What would this do for me? Ooh, wouldn't that be fun? If I had a faith that could move a mountain, what else could I do? And suddenly, our minds start to explode with these possibilities of how we could change our lives and our circumstances and change anything we want to. So let's think about these carefully before we move on. What does this require of me? What would this do for me? Both focus on the same thing. Me. And that's not what faith is. Last week, we saw how faith is not about me. It's not even about me forcing God to do what I want him to do. Faith is about me being connected to God's promises. When he says a path will open, it will open. When he says people can walk through a sea, they walk through a sea. When he says death is not the end, death is not the end. Nothing can stand in the way of getting in what, uh, get in the way of what God has promised. So if a mountain is in God's way, and he has given you the promise to travel through it, you can say to that mountain, move, and it'll move, because nothing can get in the way of what God has promised you. That's what a mountain-moving faith is about. It's not about what's in it for you or what you could do for yourself. It's about holding on to the promises of God. But Jesus' promise remains. There's, there's my, there, there might be some mountains in your life, some mountains that you can't conquer, some mountains that you might need to move. And today we're going to see what it looks like to have a faith that can call on God to move the mountains that clear the way for his promises. And I just want to be real. I just want to be real. Because some of you, you might not be worried about the mountains right now. <clears throat> some of you have been worried about a gentle hill that you can't navigate. And you've prayed, God, would you take this away? Would you handle this? And Nothing's changed. And some of you, let's just get real. Maybe it's just a grain of sand. And you, you've, in faith, you said, God, would you change this one little thing? Would you get it out of the way? And nothing has changed. What about a mountain-moving faith? Well, today, as we get into Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to see what gets in the way of a mountain-moving faith. And we're going to see what God does to give that to everyone who seeks it. And so as we get in here, um, just know that the general context for Ephesians chapter 2 is that this is the Apostle Paul in the first century. Paul was a great missionary, uh, sharing Jesus with all sorts of people, and he's simply writing to some people in the first century to encourage them with some things that they were wrestling with. And in, in Ephesus, they had all sorts of struggles. There was earthly temptations, temporal things. Uh, there was the, the local way to, basically the local version of going to church involved prostitution. And so just their whole worldview had to be overturned in order to follow Jesus. And so Paul is writing this letter to remind them that who they used to be isn't who they are anymore. The faith that they have 
has changed everything. So we're going to learn from this. What gets in the way of a mountain-moving faith and what God does to create it? Ephesians chapter 2. He starts with some really encouraging words. <laughs> he says, as for you, and he's addressing his whole audience. He's addressing me. He's addressing you. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And the Greek word for dead is nekrus. It's literally dead, lifeless, motionless. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. And there's a lot I could talk about here. Basically, all the yellow words are words that he's going to bring up again at the end of this section from an opposite perspective. So for example, he says, you were dead in your transgressions, but at the end he says, but now you are alive in Christ. Dead in transgressions to alive in Christ. And we'll hit on some of this as we, as we continue going. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And just two things to note, uh, you used to follow the ways of this world. The, the Greek word for ways literally is ages or times. So in other words, when before faith, uh, when you lived in unbelief, you, you looked to the world around you for insight into what's right and what's wrong and what's important. That's how you developed your standards. And the same is so true today. Like, what is right? What is wrong? What's appropriate? What's not appropriate? Isn't it true? By default, we look to the world around us and say, well, how should we live? So we follow the ways of this world. And the other thing, this, the rest of this is almost puzzling because it's like he goes out of his way just to not say the word devil. He, he could have said the word devil and saved a whole lot of words. But instead he says, we follow the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. But the reason he, he, he draws it out like this is because at the end of this section, he's going to give us the opposite. If being dead in your sins is because of a spirit who is at work, then in order to be alive, there has to be a different spirit that intercedes. And if this spirit leads to disobedience, then this other spirit must lead to righteousness. He draws it out because at the end of the section, he's going to give us the alternative, the, the difference between these two things. But first, let's, let's move on with verse three. He says, all of us, now he includes himself, all of us lived among them, not just neighbors, but the way you're living your life, the way you're walking in your life. We lived among them at one time. What were we doing? We were gratifying the cravings of our flesh, just temporal things, and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. And isn't this so true? Like, follow your feelings. Do what you want. Be true to yourself. This is what we are by default. We follow our cravings. We satisfy our desires. And because of that, where has it led us? It has led us directly away from the righteousness and holiness of God. So that we all, as Paul said, are by nature deserving of wrath. That's encouraging, but maybe not encouraging, but it is the truth. Because the thing about this, if, if you want a mountain moving faith where you're standing firm in what Christ has promised, you need to know where you started by default. And sometimes we can get so confident in our own abilities that it actually gets us into trouble. Have you ever done that? 
I think this would be a great conversation for the ride home today. Or if you're meeting with your growth group, talk about this with your growth group this week. Share a time when your self-confidence got you into trouble. Um, a few weeks ago, we had Pastor Dan here, and he, I guess he was talking me up, and I think I've settled that by now. But um, one thing Pastor Dan and I did several, several years ago, back in college, we uh, worked together um, for, for a summer job. And one of the things that involved this is kind of a warehouse area. Uh, there was a forklift that occasionally needed to be used to move things around. And so Pastor Dan, he was trained and qualified and certified to drive that forklift. And one day he was driving it around and I said four words that when any man says these words, you know there's trouble coming. I said, I can do that. (laughs) Honey, the thing is broken. I can do that. Or someone is kind of showing off. I can do that. You know, whenever we say that, we get into trouble. And so Pastor Dan said, well, have you done this before? And I said, yeah, I've ridden a forklift. And I have very basic ones that have like three knobs and steering wheel. So I got on this one and I start flipping with knobs and I did what I thought was move the the arm forward, but the thing just propelled forward. And Dan's like, what are you doing? And so he jumps on there, stops it. And I'm like, okay, I can't do this. (laughs) And I'm done. Um, sometimes if you're overconfident in yourself, it can get you into trouble and you need someone to step in and rescue you. And all of mankind has fallen into this situation. We have followed our desires and our cravings and it has gotten us into trouble. It has led us away from God. We thought this was the path to peace and happiness and joy if we just do what we want and follow our desires. But that was a trap. And the consequence is not just sin and God being angry. The consequence is death and separation from the God of holiness. What we need to know when it comes to a mountain-moving faith is that we were not born with a mountain-moving faith. And we were actually not even born neutral on the matter. We were born, by default, spiritually dead. Number two, we are not born spiritually neutral where we can choose faith or choose unbelief. We are born apart from God in unbelief. And unbelief isn't this neutral ground where it kind of considers both sides. Unbelief separates from God. Because unbelief doesn't hold on to the promises of God. It doesn't hold on to the solution of God or anything like that. Unbelief holds on to its own desires, its own ways. Unbelief says, I can do that. I can do that. And it gets us into a place where we need to be rescued. So what should God do? (laughs) What should Pastor Dan have done? Let me ride off off the (laughs) whatever. Um, You see, because of God's great love for us, he didn't let that happen. Paul goes on. Because of his great love, his surpassing love. I just want to pause there because the... The motivation God had to intervene into my life and your life, the thing that motivated him to rescue us was him. The reason for him to want to rescue us was because of who he is. It's his character. God is love. And because of his great love, not because you tried so hard, not because you cried out and God finally heard your voice, but because he loved you so much. And then Paul makes you wait for what God did. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, who 
holds back what we deserve, what did he do? He made us alive with Christ. What, when was this? Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. A dead person cannot do anything, and a spiritually dead person cannot do anything. In order to go from dead in transgressions to be alive in Christ does not call for a decision by you. There's no prayer a dead person can pray to become alive. There's no choice they can make and say, it looks good to be alive. I think I'll choose to be alive from now on. A dead person must have the Spirit of God come to them and make them alive. And in just a moment, Paul's going to share with us how that happens and what that looks like. We need God to intervene. If, if the Spirit of this world is responsible for our death and our disobedience, we need the Spirit of God to make us alive. And it is a gift. It is by grace, undeserved love, that God did that for you. And here's the consequence of this. Uh, Paul goes on. Now, because of this, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So are you up in heaven right now? I know my preaching might make it seem like you're in heaven, but <laughs> you're not in heaven right now. What I find interesting is that in this, in this verse, as in many verses in the Bible, it speaks about our heavenly dwelling as if it's a present reality. Because it is. When God declares your home is heaven and there's a room waiting for you, it's as if it is true right now. It's a reality that you can live in right now. You don't have to wait for heaven. The joy of heaven is something we have in that right now. You are seated next to God in heaven, in Christ Jesus. It's as good as done because it's not up to you. It is by grace. In the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, not in the air, in the so. If you have time this week, just look at this section. You can see all the different ways that um, the beginning of this section plays off the end and how there's a, a, a change taking place in so many ways. In order that, not in the current age of this world, but in the coming ages, a different reality, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness in Christ. Grace, not judgment. Kindness, not punishment. This is incredible. And now Paul gets to this concluding thought. He says, I'm going to bundle it up in a few sentences. Here's the good news. He says this, for it is by grace you have been saved. And now he introduces something he hadn't brought before. He says it is through faith. By grace, God sent his son into this world to establish the payment for your sins and to make it so that you, heaven can be your home. But Paul says, it is by faith that this gift is brought to you. You can say to the entire world, Jesus died for your sins whether you believe it or not. Jesus paid for the sins of the whole world. He reconciled the world to God in Christ. Everything, every sin has been paid for. But the benefit of that is received by faith, through faith, through faith. And then he Adds a little bit more. This faith, this is not from yourselves. The Greek literally is, it is not out of you. It is not origined from you. It's not sourced from you. It has nothing to do with you. You are dead in your transgressions and sins. Faith didn't come from you to reach over and grab onto what God offered. 
Um, you didn't even create the faith that receives what God gave you. This is, faith is not from you. So where is it from? It is the gift of God. Isn't that incredible that not only has God established the grounds for your salvation, that Jesus died for the sins of the world, but he also gave you the one thing you needed to receive that gift for yourself, faith. And in just a moment, we'll see how that happens. One more phrase here. He says, this is not by works. Again, he's just um, loading in the, these exclusive terms. You are excluded from all of this. Uh, it's not your works that earn salvation. It's not your believing. It's not your faith that, that brought salvation to you. It's, it's not you so that no one can boast and say, here's what I did to be good with God. If you're going to boast, Paul would say, you must boast in the Lord in his salvation, but also in the faith that he has given to you. And then the end result, let's go over this quickly. Four, here's the end result. We are God's handiwork. We are, we are not dead in our sins, you know, pursuing disobedience. We are now God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That is now who you are. But faith does not come out of you. It's not something you have to detach yourself from the reality of this world and find something within yourself. Faith comes from outside of you. It is a gift from God. And as you look at Romans chapter 10, it gives some highlights as to how God does this. And there's a lot of verses we could point to, but I'll just point to this one. Where does faith come from? How does God give it to you? Faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. Here's the incredible thing. Just hearing the gospel message, the gospel means that the message about Jesus is a way that God can give faith to you. And we also rightly see how forgiveness is promised through other means too. God promises that through baptism, this is a washing of renewal and rebirth by the Holy Spirit. God is coming to that individual and giving them that gift of faith. And today, if, if you're here, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And that's another way Jesus promised. This is given for you for your forgiveness. He comes to us through his gospel to plant and to grow that gift of faith. So here's something that blows my mind. And I'm not sure I fully understand it, but this is what the Bible teaches about where your faith come, came from and how it grows. Number three, the gospel that requires faith to receive also creates faith as it is delivered. The good news that requires faith to receive, like it takes faith to believe Jesus died for me. That requires faith. But the message that Jesus died for me also creates faith as it's delivered. And so if you want a mountain moving faith, it's important to remember where faith comes from. Faith is not something that comes out of you. Faith is something that God gives to you through, through his gospel through his gospel. So I wonder, how, how has your faith been growing? And I'm not just talking about people who might be guests here for the first time, and maybe you haven't been in church your whole life, and now you're here for the first time. And what, Maybe who I should speak to are the people who are like me, who've been lifelong Christians, who don't remember a time before going to church. It's just been a part of you. Do you have a mountain-moving faith? What I find interesting is that in the Bible, when you look through Jesus' life, it records two times when Jesus was amazed. And we could have a whole conversation about that. What could possibly amaze the Son of God? 
But there were two times it says he was amazed. One time he was amazed at a person's faith. The, the, the man said, you don't have to come to my house. Just say the word, it'll be done. Jesus said he was amazed at this man's faith. But guess what the second one was? Jesus was also amazed by people's lack of faith. Uh, here's an example. Mark chapter 6. Jesus said to them, this was in Nazareth where Jesus grew up. He says, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives and in his own home. Jesus could not do any miracles there. Why not? Jesus could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Why couldn't he heal people? The reason he couldn't heal people is because they didn't come to him. There he is in his hometown, seeing all these people that could have been helped, walking along, limping along, being carried along. But they didn't stop to see Jesus. They didn't believe he could help, and so they didn't come to him. So Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. I wonder how often Jesus is amazed at my lack of faith. The, the things that come up in my heart, in my life, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to fix this. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. And my immediate response is what I can do to fix things when my first response should be to approach the God of all power in prayer and lay it before him. And I wonder how Jesus is amazed. Wow, Matt, you're really doing this again? You're tr- going to try to move this mountain on your own. What about you? Would Jesus be amazed by your faith or would he be amazed by your lack of faith? Here's the good news. Jesus is not pleased with you because of your faith in him. He is pleased with you because he died to forgive your sins. He died to forgive your lack of faith. Though we are faithless, God is faithful. And even with those weak in faith, He doesn't push him away. He says, come and follow me. Let me show you what I can do. So maybe a good question for this week is this. How how has my faith been lacking? Where's a place where I could be more proactive in laying my needs before God? And even if it is a thing where I can do this, it becomes something where it's, no, we can do this. God is a part of my hills. He's a part of my mountains, and I will include him in everything. What have you been forfeiting because your faith has not been forthright in bringing to God the things that you're working through? I say this not to guilt you. I hope you can see I do this because there's something so much better for me and for you when we bring these things to God. So if you're looking for a mountain-moving faith, here's the one thing we can do. Do not look inwardly. Don't try to force it out of yourself. But the thing we need to do is ground yourself. Ground yourself in the gospel. Isn't it interesting? We have these little delivery things that, you know, we can see when a package is being delivered and, you know, we get these, I, at least I do, I get notifications, the package is on its way, it's only two stops away, and it's like, okay, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. What if we did that with the gospel each week? How often do you receive a gospel delivery of God's word, God's sacrament being brought to you? I hope it's more than once a week. Just think about this. What if every morning you could have that time? God's delivery is on the way. The gospel delivery is coming. God's going to speak to you again, and he's going to change your life through his word every day. 
And today we'll have a chance for the Lord's Supper. It's, that's one of those opportunities for that gospel delivery where Jesus declares, this is my body, this is my blood given for you, for your forgiveness. He's delivering his gospel to you. That's a faith-growing moment. Be aware of that this week. If you're looking for a mountain-moving faith, the one thing you can do is ground yourself in his gospel and make those deliveries more and more frequent. Because the more you ground yourself in his gospel, the more you are aligned with his promises and his truth. So I got one more question as we wrap up. I know that when it comes to the mountains you face in your life, it'd be so easy to say, God, this is a struggle. I don't like this. The circumstances just aren't mine. Could you move this mountain for me? And that's, that's a good thing to pray, God, to, to acknowledge that the circumstance that's beyond your control and to say, God, this is a mountain. Would you help get this out of the way? Would you move this mountain? Because I can't. That is an awesome exercise of faith. But you know what else is true? There will be times when God doesn't move the mountain because it would actually strengthen your faith more to climb it with him than if he just moved it out of the way for you. So here's a question. Is, as you look at whatever's before you, is, is this a hill to, to climb or, or is this a mountain to move? Is this a hill that God wants me to climb to strengthen my faith in him? Or is this a hill that he wants me to ask him to move so that his kingdom can be furthered and his will be done? And the check is simply that, to say, whatever is before me, I'm going to bring God into it, knowing that his kingdom will be furthered. And I seek his will to be done, because faith, the, function, the primary function isn't to force God to make your circumstances different. The primary function of faith is to hold on to his promises and to seek his kingdom. So I hope that brings some clarity. What, what did Jesus mean when he says, you can have a mountain-moving faith. It means he will step with you to strengthen your faith throughout your life. And only he, only he knows what's best for you. So next week, we're going to look at one other aspect of faith, where it talks about the, the focus of what faith creates in your life. Faith, when it's present, should be having a difference. And so next week, we'll talk about what that looks like in a person's life today. For today, let's close with a prayer. Dear Jesus, as we gather together, as we listen to this message online, uh, we, we each have our own doubts and wrestles with faith that only you know about, or perhaps only you know about. And we each have mountains and hills that are going to come up in our future, things that we would rather just have you move away from us. But today we approach you by faith. And even in the moments where we ask you to, to move the mountain, we trust you to do what's best. Regardless of what happens in our lives, would, would you intercede to strengthen our faith in you? Keep us grounded in your gospel because that is where you align us with your promises and your truth. And that's something we need every day. Help us to be more aware of the way you deliver purpose and hope to us through your gospel. Help us to be more regular and, and, and focused on the ways that we can ground ourselves in that. And at the end of the day, I hope we walk away from this not looking inwardly for what we can do to make a great faith. And I hope that we don't look to faith to think about what can happen for us. But let faith be focused on you. The faith we have is only as strong as the object that it's in, and that is you. 
keep that as our focus and our anchor this week and give us wisdom to know when to climb the hill with you and when to ask you to move it from us. We ask this all in your name. Amen.